This episode is sponsored by the Jewelry Institute of America, located in Houston, Texas, serving the entire world. Learn optical diamond setting and hand engraving from world-class instructors. Check out our courses online at the Jewelry Institute of America. Hey, Ollie, what are you doing? Nothing. Oh, well, did you know that April is Women's Month on the uh, Hand Engraving Podcast? I did not. Well, it's true. What do you think about engraving? I think that is really cool. Oh, who's your favorite engraver? My father, Wade Wilson. Oh, how sweet of you. You're a real sweetheart. What would you like to be when you grow up? A speech therapist. Oh, you never gave any thought to being an engraver? I did, but it probably wouldn't end out too well for me. Oh, why do you think that? Uh, my hands get a little shaky when I'm doing something really precise. Oh, okay. Well, I think being a speech therapist would be great. I think you'll be really good at it. What kind of things do you like to do? I like to dance and read. Oh, very cool. Well, uh, like I said, April is Women's Month, and... I would like for you to kick the show off for me. Do you mind doing that? Not at all. This is the Hand Engraving Podcast, the world's greatest podcast dedicated to the art and artists of hand engraving. April is Women's Month on the podcast, and kicking it all off is guest host and personal friend of the show, the Belle of Alberta, Canada, Kelly McRae. On this episode, Kelly interviews the great artist Amy Raymond, I hope that you like it. I'm Olivia Wilson, and I've got to go get dressed for dance class. Hit the music. Welcome to the Hand Engraving Podcast. I'm Kelly McRae, and I'm going to be your guest host for today. I'm currently sitting in the studio of Amy Raymond, uh, located on a beautiful working cattle ranch in Helix, Oregon. Welcome to the show, Amy. Thanks, Kelly. This is going to be fun. I'm super excited. I know. This is pretty cool, isn't it? It is. Um, I've been excited to interview Amy because Amy is a Western Bright cutting graver. Yep. And she is probably one of the most um, imaginative and driven engravers that I think there is right now. Um, you've got a really strong desire to learn, Amy. Where has that come from for you? Um, <laughs> honestly, so my whole family is a bunch of bankers <laughs> and they're all really highly educated and they all went to school for four or five years and have all these degrees and everything. Well, I'm the only one that I have a associate's degree from a community college. I went to college for four years. So I think I took all that education and I just put it towards this, you know, like this is my success. This is what, this is who Amy Raymond is because she's the only Vander Platt that's not sitting behind a desk yeah. in a bank. We well, are making all behind kinds of a money. desk in I your am. own way. Yeah, right? I am behind <laughs> a desk in my own And, you know, um, you're working with precious metals yeah. still. Yeah. They used to in the banks right. in the old days. Right. So right. it's just kind of that old it's soul coming out in right, you. right. It's like the old traditional yes. way of paying for things. <laughs> there you go. You are 
a wife of a rancher. You are a working rancher yourself. Yeah. Uh, you've got two teenage children. Hoodlums. Hoodlums. <laughs> hoodlums. Got some hoodlums. You are a very busy person on this ranch. Where do you find the time to fit in your need to be in this studio? Um, well, I wake up at 4 a.m. Most days, um, I'm a little worn out while Kelly's here. So I've been sleeping in, <laughs> um, like this morning I got up at five and normally I get up at four, come out to my shop till about six. And then, um, I will go back to the house about six o'clock. That's when the Angus website comes available and all the new information comes in. Cause we're, um, we're registered producers also right. with the commercial cow-calf um, operation too. So it's a lot of book work. So my Angus book work starts at six o'clock and I do a few things in there while the boys are getting ready for school. Um, then I go out and do chores after the boys leave for school. So I go feed cows and then I come back in here and work till noon then I go back out and check cows and then I come back in here and get the boys rolling and get the, you know, when they come home from school, get the boys rolling, go in the house and make dinner. And I'm going to be honest. I go to bed about eight o'clock. Yeah. So, well, you sure do produce some beautiful work. Thank you. When you Thank get you. a chance to be when out I'm here between um, eight and yeah, yeah, you <laughs> I have my little times. So the only reason I kind of ask you that, well, I, I know a lot of engravers have second jobs or their engraving is their second job. Uh-huh. Um, we're focusing, Wade is focusing, the hand engraving podcast is focusing um, on women engravers kind of this next month or through the month of April. And and so it's it's important for, I think, other people to know that there's this is a juggling act. Mm-hmm. And and, you know, for you to, to share with them, you know, like you just did, how you managed to do that, because it's hard. Oh, yeah. I've been I mean, there. And like kids that are the kids, the boys just got done with sports. So after school, you're traveling to a sports game some days. So, I mean, that that's a typical day for me, but it changes like the weather. I mean, I'll look out the window. I was looking out the window one day and I had 10 cows trotting down the road and they're about a mile and a half from where they're supposed to be. (laughs) So your day changes. I mean, in a blink of an eye, you know, you get one phone call and you're, I'm clear over in Pilot Rock helping do something or, or doing some random thing hauling. I have to take jerseys to like basketball jerseys (laughs) to school. (laughs) I meant jersey Jersey cows. cows. (laughs) Oh, where did those get out of Angus operation? (laughs) Right. Right. No, it it changes. It changes. And I think it does for a lot of women though. You know, I have some friends and they have a couple kids and they're trying to juggle a silver business and trying to or an engraving business and trying to take kids to school and trying to, and they have more kids than me. I just was smart enough to only have two. (laughs) (laughs) How long have you been engraving? I started great engraving in about 2003. And what was, what, what drove you to want to engrave? Where did that come from? You obviously were very busy at that time as well. So where did the desire to engrave come from? The, it, it actually, it started as being a desire to work from home and do something with my hands. I 
don't sit still well. And I want to do stuff with my hands. I want to create things. I wanted to create something amazing. And, and, and I did find out the hard way that my husband and I work very well together, but every single day, all day long, gets a little rough. Everyone needs a break. <laughs> it does. It break. The other thing that I had was as a woman and a banker's daughter, I wanted to buy him a cowboy hat for Christmas. And I didn't have my own money to do that. Right. So I had to ask him if we had enough money to buy him a cowboy hat. And, I, you know, for the life of me, I couldn't do that. Yeah. I, I, I did it the first year. I graduated with my two-year degree. I got married young. Got I got my two-year degree. And then I started cold calling people, trying to figure out who was going to help me do this. Right. So who did you start with? I started with a guy in um, in Northeast Oregon. His name was Travis Stringer. Um, he was a really good bright cutter and he made wedding bands. Um, and from there, I, I think you and I were talking earlier about um, I'd hit a plateau and I need to go work with someone yeah. else. I yeah. felt very blah with my stuff. And so I need to go work with somebody else. And each person that I worked with, you could really tell, you know, the difference in the, the outcome of my engraving after it. Are there any other women engravers who have been a real influence in your life? Well, yes, there's two women engravers that have been huge influences in my life and have probably changed a lot of the things that I do today. And the one that I've worked with the most is Diane Scalis. Um, and she's really pushed me to the next levels of my plateaus. And the other one's actually you. Oh, well, thank you. Well, I mean, there's like you too. Yeah. <laughs> We're the only ones that you knew of for, <laughs> but so there's, yeah, there's, there's, there's <clears throat> you had, do you think there's been quite an influx of women engravers come along uh, over this one, last hundred percent? Yeah. hundred percent. There's been more women engravers, more women makers, more women, I think, and I don't know for sure. I think the whole COVID thing showed people they want to work from home, raise their kids and have something on the side. I mean, yeah. I figured it out 20 years ago. And I think all these people are figuring this out now. They want to be at home. They want to build something for themselves and they want to raise their kids and do things a little bit differently. You also have a desire to we'll use the words desire. Um, no, you have a strong sense of educating other yes. engravers and getting young people started or new engravers, doesn't matter what age, getting new engravers started. Um, and you've organized some different events to make that happen. And do you want to tell us a little bit about that, what you host here? <clears throat> yeah. So um, uh, about 10 years ago, I had a guy come come to me and ask me if I would start. He wanted a bit a Bittensburg contest. He he wanted a contest ran in conjunction with Pendleton Cattle Barons. That was a that was a Bittensburg contest and and all these Bittensburg makers could send their gear 
to cattle barons and have a competition on who did a good job on it. Who did. So over the years, I have grown this into a little bit different show. I at first did bits for an engraving and, and that worked really good. It, it was really cool because when you add the engraving aspect to it, you can have gun engravers, knife engravers, any, I said, anything that, that you engrave on, I want it to be a part of the show. And so that opened a door and then years went by and I did that and I did that. And then, then I had all these fabricators and I said, well, why can't these fabricators, I mean, they fabricate, they do amazing work. I mean, it, it's not engraving, but it's something different and something cool. And, and you can see their ideas and how they form and, and just, I mean, to solder something down, I, I don't even know how half of them. So this event, um, Cattle Barons mm-hmm. is held in, in Pendleton, Oregon. In Pendleton, Oregon. In and, May. In May. And what are the dates this year? The 5th and 6th of May. Okay. Um, and and so with that, you, what this is, is this is a display, but a competition Yeah, as well? It's a competition. Um, open to anyone. Open to anybody. If you fabricate something, if you engrave something, if you build gear, send it. So, we We love more people, the better. Now, along with this event, there is some educational classes as well. Yes, we do host classes. Um, This year, we have Big Sky Mohair Cinch Girls in Montana teaching a cinch class. We have Kelly Martin that lives in Arizona, has a moccasin making class. We have Julie Bacher, and she lives in Washington, and she's teaching two different purse classes. We have a local lady, Sue Ellen Crea, that's teaching a purse class. We have Shanna Bailey, who's teaching a photography class that it's product photography or it's lifestyle photography in the morning and product and marketing in the afternoon. So makers like us can take this class, learn how to take pictures with our phones, set it up. You know, how do you, how do you, what photo box do you use? What lighting do you use? How do you take a picture with your cell phone? And then how do you market it? Um, And we have Jim Linnell teaching some some spoon carving and some school and some swivel knife classes. Um, we have, how about an engraving class or any silversmithing? We have a silversmithing <laughs> class. So Jill Latino Yamate and I teach a fabricating class. She is a phenomenal fabricator and a phenomenal engraver. And we have been teaching, um, fabricating classes together for the last four years. Um, and we didn't get to do art of the cowgirl this year. So this is our only class and it actually is full, but we're teaching a spinner ring class. And so we'll take either beginners. We've found out that even if you are an amazing engraver and you're a great fabricator, there's always things you can learn from taking it back to the basics. Agreed. And to build something, it and we don't teach engraving in the class just to have 10 setups in this location is a little bit hard to do. Um, we, but you can take it home and, and we're showing you something you can take home and engrave. Right. But how to build it and how, and these are the steps and you don't need 
$10,000 worth of tools to do this. You can do this with a, a couple hundred bucks and some silver and yeah. you can have fun with it. And then you can take it home and engrave it or you can inlay it or anything you want to do with it. I think that's one thing with what we do with the bright cut end of things engraving is that you also have to fabricate mm-hmm. as well as design mm-hmm. as well as engrave. Right. So it, it's kind of a, a full circle deal. You, you don't just buy blanks and engrave them. You don't have, you know, things given to you to engrave you actually have to do the fabrication part. And I think sometimes that gets missed out on. Oh, yeah. I mean, pe- you can. I mean, you can go buy all these rings and you can engrave them. Rio made yeah, rings. But everything you could ever want yeah, to engrave. Yeah. But but to make something different than everyone else, to be able to fabricate it and make it your own, I yeah. think that really puts a special spin on it. Cool. What's one of your favorite things to work on to make? I know you have specifically and not many women have done this but you have made jewelry you have made bits and spurs mm-hmm. you've made buckles you you cover quite a wide variety of disciplines when it comes to you know your career what is what do you prefer to work on um <clears throat> wow i actually absolutely love making earrings because, so like, if you're walking, and I've, I've done a lot of research on this, and I don't know why. I walk down the rodeo, like, so the Pendleton Roundup's a big deal here. Yeah. So my focus, I have, there's a lot of local people with my stuff. I want a lady to walk down the main alleyway through the Pendleton Roundup, and I want two people to pass each other, and I don't want them to know or really know that that's an Amy Raymond piece. Like they might know it because they see it on Instagram, but I want them to look so different that you have to question it. Does that make sense? Yes. So when those two women are walking by, if they have a coat on, it covers up a necklace. Not a lot covers up earrings, right? Agreed. So that's the first thing that people see is your earrings. And if you're talking to someone, you're looking at them in their eyes. And what you see is around their head, not necessarily around their neck. So my focal point has has been earrings. With a focus, I'm really making things unique and different with every pair that you do. Yes. Yeah. You don't do 10 pair of the same thing. I will make 10 pair of the same thing if I'm if I'm asked to. I do not really enjoy making the same 10 right. pair over and over. No, no, it's not enjoyable. It's not. It's not. <laughs> it's like making it's like making belt buckles and making every single one look exactly right. the same. Right. It's just not it's a little mundane after a yeah. while, isn't it? So the bit and spur work has always kind of intrigued me that you took that on as a challenge. Who did you work with? To learn how to do some bit and spur work. Well, so I earlier I talked about my plateaus. So one of my plateaus, I was engraving and I broke the tip off the side of my, I, at that time I used a 42 flat. So I broke the tip off of it and, and I had no idea. So I made some phone calls, knew that there was a guy that lived about 20 miles down the road. And so his name was Jim Baltzar and he he was an amazing man. And he taught me so much 
Um, so I went to his house, I called him, went to his house, sat down and he showed me how to sharpen it and he sharpened it for me. And I had a hone at home, but I had no idea how to use it. It was, it, it was foreign to me. And he showed me like the steps on sharpening it and how to sharpen it and angles I needed kind of, sort of in, in the old, he, he took one of those Elmer Miller classes yeah, yeah. back in mm-hmm. Nampa, Idaho, when they used to teach those, I think Ernie Marsh was in his class. Okay. So, so I started going there. He was in his, you know, mid seventies when I started working with him and I'd go over there oh, once or twice a week for a long time. And, so then I started building a pair of spurs because he said, well, you just can't just hang out here. You got to do something. Yeah. So then I, <laughs> I started. Make yourself useful. I started yeah. out just building a set of spurs with him. And then I started building a bit with him because I got done with the spurs and I got done with the bit. And then, and then I started doing all of his engraving for him because he was at the age where he just it just wasn't looking great, but he still wanted to do the metal work. He wanted, he wanted to oh, keep what a going. great experience. So then I was doing all his um, silver engraving for him and he made these teardrop earrings and we made, I don't know. It seemed like 10,000 sets. Yeah. It was not 10,000 sets, <laughs> but they were just a simple teardrop flat earring. And he wanted to make them with me. And I think he paid me um, like $5 a set, but I didn't care. Because, wow, I was just working for him. It was cheap education. Yes. Doing that work. And you're just engraving and engraving and engraving. So then, so I got done working with Jim and then he told me, he said, you need, you need more education. You need to keep going. So from there, I smart man, I went and worked with Ernie and I, Ernie Marsh and I built a bit with Ernie and I (laughs) went, I, when I got there, I landed in Jackson. The next day I woke up and I didn't feel very good, but I was going to power through it. I got pneumonia while I was there. (laughs) I spent a week building a bit with pneumonia. And I think I chugged every ounce of NyQuil and Dayquil they had in their house. (laughs) So were you able to retain anything after that? (laughs) I think so, but Sometimes it helps if you drink a little Dayquil and then, and then you it all remember. comes back. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's awesome. But oh, that was, poor girl. it was fun. It was fun. And then, yeah. and then I got, um, I built some pretty fun ser- sets of spurs. I built, my husband and I built a bit together, kind of. Um, Just one, huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Just one. Just one. Okay. It's, it's only checking. ever going to be just, just one. <laughs> that was the first in our last. <laughs> no, it was. It, it was such this. an amazing experience. It probably can't be improved upon. It can't. It yeah. can't. That was really epic. <laughs> this is epic. No, you just uh, you just don't. So you just I, I don't know. I don't. Twice. I think you're the only woman that I know that has done a little bit of bit and spur work. And I know that there's a few other women out there now doing bits Some and spurs, spurs yeah. but it, it it's, you know, far and few between. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's hard work. It is hard work. It is it's, hard work. You know, yeah, shaping absolutely. the metal and filing all of it. And, and it's more equipment again, on top of what we already got. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
It is more equipment, you know, milling machine. I mean, to make it easier, you have to have all these big machines, milling machines and huge, I don't know, lathes and stuff. You just don't have. Yeah. And then there's a lot of of dynamics to involved with, with if you, anybody who's done any bit work knows. Yeah. You know, it's not just something you learn the basic skills of. You got to really hone that craft. Oh yeah. To make sure the mechanics are right. Oh yeah. You know, with those bins and, 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 uh, yeah. The steel work, the steel works fun. Yeah, it is fun. I mean, you can do some stuff with steel that you can't do with silver and that's kind of cool, but yeah. So I like silver. Yeah. I like silver. I really (laughs) like the way it shines. (laughs) I really like when you do that big bright cut and it's bright and shiny, how it looks. You uh, were telling me something that you really focus on or that really interests you um, and gets you pretty excited working on jewelry that you really try and incorporate into each of your pieces as much as you can. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? my shine and movement (laughs) my shine and movement so so I really and honestly think that if you are going to do fun funky cool jewelry you need two things and and movement is one of them because if something moves if something doesn't just lay flat and has no other dimension or no other it, it if it doesn't catch your eye you're as a jewelry maker, what, what's going to make you stand out is catching other people's eyes. So if, if those two people are walking by each other at the Pendleton roundup and something's going to catch their eye, it has to be, something's going to move funny and that's going to catch your eye or it's going to reflect light. And so you have shine or movement and those two things are what really, really catch people's eyes. So to have your 45, flat as sharp and shiny as you can get it that's when you're going to catch people's eyes or it's going to move cool so awesome i've seen some of your designs and and you definitely work hard at making them very interesting lots of shape lots of movement i try to do lots of shape lots of movement yeah lots of fun you know like textures yeah different engraving you started doing a lot of chain this last couple years haven't you yeah so where did that what made you decide to do that? Because that's a lot of work too. It is a lot of work. Yeah, but it's kind and of you fun. engrave that chain. Yeah. Well, you got yeah, you got to do some flattening to it, hammer right. it out a little bit, and um, and then and then you can engrave it. I, you know, I just wanted when you're making this stuff, you don't always want to buy a chain and put it on a button chain. Everybody can do that. Anybody can yeah. do that. Um, I do that. <laughs> I mean, but you don't have to. Yeah. You can make chain. Anybody can. I mean, and then you look at some of these metalsmiths out there and they're making their own chain, but they're texturizing it. Well, how can I make that and engrave it? And that's been a big thing to me is I want to make something and I, I want it to showcase my engraving. So like a lot of people build things and they build it because it's fun and funky and cool. I'm building it because like I made some seashell looking earrings. 
I made that so I could break apart my engraving and engrave it differently. So it's going to catch people's eyes differently. And like the shapes are going to look different and they're going to. So I try to build things in keeping in mind, how am I going to engrave this? Can I engrave it? Where am I going to engrave it? How am I going to hold it? What, you know, like, do I build this first and then engrave it? Because there's some things you can't build first and engrave. Some things you have to engrave it, then build it. Yes. Yes. Because it doesn't, it, it doesn't always make sense like that. Well, sometimes you get these bizarre shapes that are just too hard to engrave. Right. And you, know, you have to do, you it can do it. You can do it ahead of time. If you've got that skill to do that. Right. Right. And yeah, that's the way to go. I'm just going to touch base on this and I don't want to dwell on this part, but when I started, there were very, very few women mm-hmm. who were engraving. Um, I met Diane. Mm-hmm. Um, we, I didn't have the Google. So I, you couldn't the Google. Look, you did didn't not look, exist. Yeah, no, it did not exist at all. So, you know, there's a few dinosaurs roaming the earth, but they were almost gone. Right. Um, but they, it, over the years, like we just discussed earlier, there's been a lot more mm-hmm. influx. But a lot of people who are engraving now maybe don't realize that you know, when you started probably still too, there was very few. I think it was women, you and Diane. Yeah. Engravers that were out there as a woman stepping into a male dominated sport is what I always have mm-hmm. said. Yeah. Has in any way, has this been either a help or a hindrance to you? I, you know, I think I got lucky because when I stepped into it, I had people like you and Diane and, and honestly, I would have to thank Pendleton Cattle Barons because it made, it opened up doors. So I sat down and to get a contest rolling, I had to cold call everyone. I cold called, said, Hey, do you want to be a part of this? Because we, I mean, dinosaurs were still gone when I was doing <laughs> this, but they weren't, I mean, Instagram wasn't crazy no, and no. Facebook wasn't crazy. No. And there wasn't TikTok videos made of things and nobody was snapping anything. Yeah. So but I mean, they were snapping, they were snapping but not, not their chats. Not their chats. <laughs> but I mean, there was, I had a, I have a folder. Actually, I've handed down the folder to Jill. Jill now cold calls people. But I have this folder and I'd call you and I'd say, yeah. hey, Kelly do you know any silversmiths and their phone numbers? How do I get a hold of them? Who do I? So that opened up doors for me. And I don't yeah. think that's how every woman came into yeah. this industry. I mean, I called Diane and I said, Diane, I need phone numbers. So then that leads to Mark Stewart. Yeah. Mark Stewart and I, I haven't talked to him in a long time. He's a wonderful man. Yeah. But when Art of the Cowgirl called Mark Stewart and said, who, what, do you know a woman that is part of and like can build bits and spurs? I mean, then he, that's how, I mean, it's all a circle. Yeah. Right. Back to you. Right. So then it comes back to me, but it was that door of me just sitting there calling people saying, hi, my name's Amy Raymond. And I, I mean, I got hung up on 
Yeah, I got told. But anybody would have, right? Right, so, right. Anybody would have. Yeah. But so I think my, me being a woman coming out in this industry, it was a little different than um, anybody else coming right. out in this world. I mean, I had some doors open. I, it hasn't, uh, it's been, I've been treated with the utmost respect over the years. Right. Learning uh, anybody who closed a door on me would have closed, was closing doors on anybody. Everybody. Yeah, right. it had nothing to do with your sex no, or anything. Not at all. So, you know, I think that's pretty cool. I'm going to wrap things up here pretty quick. And I want to ask you two questions oh, that no. we traditionally yeah. ask. Okay. Wade usually asks on the podcast. Number one, what is one of the, your most favorite pieces that you've made or a piece that you have felt has been, that, that's been a success for you or that you've loved the most? <clears throat> so... I have one piece that stands out. I, my mom's a, a huge part of my life. Um, my parents are big supporters. They're both bankers. So they legit have no idea what I do. Yeah. <laughs> right. My mom gets it a little bit. My dad is, he's just really proud of me. Yeah. Yeah. You go girl. <laughs> right. Like he's, he'll come sit in my booth. Like if you see a couple in my booth anywhere, yeah, it's going to be my parents and they're huge supporters. They help me all the time. So I had, my mom's been begging me for a Navajo pearl necklace. And I thought, oh man, well, that's going to take me years to make, you know what? And, and I just poo pooed her for a long time. So then I got this idea and, and I have, I am blessed to have some amazing friends in this industry. I had this idea that if I made, if I made three quarters of the beads, then I could have each friend make, and it's not three quarters. I made 42 beads. I had each friend make 10 beads. Oh, so wow. I got Jill Latino Yamate to make 10 and I got Katie Kirshner to make 10. Nice. And and then, so I made the center bead and then I split it. Every other bead was there's mine, there's mine, there's mine. As it went up the upper neck. <clears throat> and that piece, so Jill and Katie and I took it to Art of the Cowgirl one year and we stopped on the way down there and took pictures of it on cactuses and did all <laughs> kinds of fun stuff. And I think that is my most sentimental piece just because one, it was for my mom and two is with really good uh, that's mine. a pretty special piece yeah i'm sure she'll treasure it forever oh do you yeah. do a lot of shows no no not you have you though in the past i mean i do art of the cowgirl yeah. i have done nfr yeah um i've done cattle barons i do pendleton roundup some yeah. i mean it's a big part of being an engraver the custom work and well shows, and like right? getting your stuff out there and and with, honestly with the work yeah um, honestly, I love doing shows because you can make whatever you want yeah, and you can put it out there because you want some showstopper pieces, which yeah. are the expensive high-end fun ones that you can fabricate and engrave and do all this fun stuff. And then you have some, the less expensive things that, you know, will just sell. Yes. So you, you have like all these ranges and you can make whatever you want. I always found I got the most creative when I was getting ready for a show. Yeah. There was a time crunch and mm -hmm. you just break out all these pieces of silver you had and laying you around and you just start putting it all together. together and then all of a sudden you're going like, oh, oh, I never would have thought of that. Cool. How did I come up with that? Yeah, it's <laughs> fun. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. Okay. One more question. 
what has been your biggest disaster? <laughs> wow. <clears throat> My biggest disaster. I don't know if I asked that right, but that's what we're going to go with. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, we whether it was, uh, you know, something that didn't quite come together right at the last minute before it went but, out the door. Before. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, last week. No, I'm sure. <laughs> and the week before. And then the week and before, before that. And then, <laughs> you know, I think so. I think, I think fabricators, maybe engravers and fabricators get to a point where you can fix things that you screw up. Um, but right now, I think my biggest thing is I really want to get my um, layout. I think that is the hardest hurdle for me right now is getting getting to lay out something and and making it make sense and making it not just simple because I think I'm stuck in this zone of just making things too simple instead instead of pushing myself to that next like how do I make this layout more complex but make sense you know what speaking of that I'm just going to touch on one more thing. Do it. And education. You've had something really exciting happen this year. You've received. I did. I got a big fellowship. Yeah. I got the Traditional Cowboys and Arts Association gave me a, a, a fellowship. And I'm allowed to go work with all their silversmiths and go spend time and build oh, projects. And so I've already went and worked with Scott Hardy and we built a three. So you've been to Canada. Set. I've been you've to been, Canada. been to my neck of the woods. I've been I'm to Canada. A little scary. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it was my first foreign trip alone. <laughs> when your phone doesn't work, when you get in the airport, that's a little sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. Because even though it is part of the continent, it's not part of the country. I know, and I your know. phone goes. <laughs> So yeah, so that's that's a really exciting. It's pretty fun. I'm really excited. Well, Amy, about it. I'm really looking forward to the pieces you start producing from here on forward. Thank you. Um, after you've done these fellowships, you, I just think the sky's the limit for you. I hope so. So thanks It'll for be being fun. a part of things today. Oh yeah, thanks for being my first. Anytime. <laughs> any any first any first time game. <laughs> that's a wrap. <laughs> That was a great show. Thank you to Kelly McRae for hosting and to Amy Raymond for being interviewed. The show's music was provided by James Gregg. Thank you to Amanda Wilson for engineering the show. The show is edited by my father. I'm Olivia Wilson, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.